Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hopefully you're doing well. Hope you're doing well. Those of you online, welcome as well. Hope you're doing well. Um, How many of you have ever had the chance to go and visit a foreign country? Good number, no, good number of you, okay. Uh, How many of you have ever lived in a foreign country? Maybe you came from another, you immigrated here? Okay, a good number, a good number of people. That's awesome. Uh, I've never really lived out of central Ohio, but I've gotten the chance to, to go and visit a few other nations. And it's always amazing to me just the different experience that that can be, you know, different different language, different culture, different music, clothing, even, even the food, right? Even the food can be very different. A number of years ago, I got a chance to go uh, with our youth group as a volunteer leader on a mission trip to Costa Rica. And one of the things that we did there, we decided we were going to go to a McDonald's and we were going to see if a Big Mac in Costa Rica tastes the same as a Big Mac in the States. And it does not. It does not. It's similar, but it is very different. I'm not even sure if it's hamburger, but it was, uh, but it, it was different. And my, that's just you know, one example of how it felt different. I loved my time there, loved the country, loved the Costa Rican people. Uh, but it was very clear to me that while we were there, we were foreigners, that there were just many, many differences. And today we're starting uh, a series, a new five-part series called Living in a Foreign Land, looking at the book of Daniel, the life of Daniel. And we're not going to look at the entire book of Daniel. We're not going to go verse by verse, but we're going to look at five different key stories in this book. Um, And if you aren't familiar with Daniel, it's found in the Old Testament part of the Bible. And almost the entire book, except for really, I guess, technically the first couple verses, which we'll look at today, almost the entire book of the Bible is not set where most of the rest of the Old Testament is in Israel. It's not set in Israel. It's actually set in Babylon in a foreign land, in a foreign nation. And as we'll learn in this series, Daniel and his friends, they spend most of their entire lives living as foreigners in Babylon, where the culture and the beliefs of that nation were very different than the culture and the beliefs that they were born into. And yet they didn't compromise their faith. And yet they stood courageously and still respectfully in the face of many difficulties. And they found that God was with them and that he had favor on them, and he he protected them, and he used them to point others to him, to God. And while many of us, you know, we we may stay in this nation for the rest of our lives, we may never go live anywhere else after this, I think most of us and many of us would agree that our culture here in America is changing very, very rapidly. Would you agree with that? It's changing very, very quickly. Many of you I know would probably say that the culture that you grew up in is very, very different than the one that we're living in right now. Pew Research did a study that found that comparing, uh, back in the early 1990s, that the percentage of people who identified themselves as Christians in America was around 90%. That was was pretty consistent for a few years in the early 90s. Uh, And now 30 years later, that has dropped almost by 30%. We're just over 60%, around 62, 63% identify as Christians. Now, where have 
that, uh, what category do those other 30%, that 30% drop, what do, they, what do they fall into? Is it that we've had a high number of convert, people converting to Islam or Hindu or other specific religions? And that's, no, not, that's not the majority of the change. Is it that many of these people have become atheists? Is that is atheism on the rise? And actually that's not really true. Atheism has remained at about three to 4% for decades now. It's actually relatively low. Most of those people are now identifying as something called spiritually unaffiliated or nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. The, our convents are not overflowing with people. Uh, so what if in the next 30 years, this trend continues? What if the percentage of nuns increases and Christianity declines? Christianity may no longer be the majority worldview of those living in America. And I, I would argue that in certain parts of America, it's already not the majority worldview. And that we as Christians, in a way, we find ourselves sort of living in a foreign land in a sense, where our culture and our, our common values and our beliefs might not be so common in our culture anymore. And so how do we, how do we navigate that? How do we navigate that? How do we walk with Jesus in our faith in a culture that might be headed in that direction in our lifetimes? That's what we're gonna talk about in this series. That's what I'm so excited to look at the book of Daniel. Let me, let me pray for us and then we'll dive into the first part we're gonna look at today. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person here. Thank you for those joining us online as well. And I pray, Lord, that you would, you would guide us and you would lead us and you would be with us as we navigate uh, living in a culture that is changing very quickly. We pray for your wisdom and your discernment living in this time that you have called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we're gonna, we're gonna start by looking at the very beginning, very first verse of Daniel 1. If you have a Bible or Bible app, you wanna start turning there. But before, we, before I start reading it to you and while you're finding it, because uh, we will put it up on the screens here in a little bit, um, I wanna just give you a little bit of background about Daniel, a little bit about what was going on if you're not familiar with the book. So Daniel begins, the book of Daniel begins around 600 years before Jesus, 600 years before Christ. And at that time in the, in the nation of Israel, they had been struggling. They had been struggling for decades, for centuries, really. They had been struggling. They had divided into two parts, the northern and southern parts of the kingdom. And the majority of the kings in the north and the south did not do a great job of, of calling the people to worship God and following his laws. So God had, he had warned them many times, many times by speaking through his Old Testament prophets, hey, I'm only gonna be patient for so long, basically. If, if you don't turn around and there's gonna be a consequence for your disobedience. And history tells us that's exactly what happened, that the, eventually the Babylonians come in and destroy Jerusalem. And, and we see in the very first verse in the book of Daniel, it starts off like this, Daniel 1.1. 1, 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that's the southern part of Israel, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. We'll stop right there for a little bit. So 
So the king of Babylon, this guy named Nebuchadnezzar, sends his army, they surround Jerusalem, and, and they besiege it. Basically, they don't let anybody go in and out. And it says, and this is really important, it says that the Lord delivered King Jehoiakim into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. That's interesting. The Lord did it. The Lord did it. The Lord gave the king of Judah and the things of the temple over to the king of Babylon. I think that's important to point out that, that even though this might be confusing to us, we might think, well, why does God do that? God is in control, even when it seems like he's not. God is very much in control in this entire book of the Bible. Of, of, or in the entire, well, he is in control in the entire book of the Bible. I, but I meant specifically in Daniel. We'll see. He is in control throughout Daniel the entire time, even when it seems like he's not. But not only did Nebuchadnezzar take things from the temple of God back to, with him to Babylon, he also took some of the people back to Babylon. Verse three says this, and then the king, Nebuchadnezzar here, ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, and showing aptitude of every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a, a daily amount of food or, or meat and, and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We'll stop there. Now, here's where we first meet Daniel and some of his friends, three friends. And what has happened is that King Nebuchadnezzar is a very intelligent and intentional man. Not only has he come and ransacked and stole things from the temple, he's also stolen some of their people, some of their future leaders, young men who were somehow in the royal bloodline, right, of nobility, who probably in the near future would have gone on to be leaders in Israel. And he has taken them 900 miles away back to Babylon. That's about from here to Dallas, Texas, if you were wondering how far that is. And back then, traveling that far takes a little longer than it does now, right? So he has taken them there, not, so much, not just to say, well, I'm just going to destroy your temple, but also to say, I'm going to destroy your future. I'm going to destroy your future, and not by killing everyone, not by even killing your best future leaders and scholars and, and fighters. I'm gonna do something even worse. I'm gonna convert them into my leaders. I'm gonna train them at my university for three years so they'll serve in my court and they'll make my kingdom stronger and better, all at the same time making yours weaker. I'm gonna take your brightest and your best and indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture. I'm gonna teach them our language in our literature, and our way of, of thinking and of doing life, and our worship of false gods. And I'm going to do it not by beating them into submission. No, I'm going to do it by enticing them. By enticing them. I'm going to give them the best life, a better life than they could have ever had in Israel. I'm going to give them the best food from my personal table, meat and wine, filet mignon and cabernet sauvignon every day, every day. 
right? You're going to get the best. So much so that eventually they will have long forgotten Israel and they will want to be Babylonian and worship the Babylonian gods instead of Yahweh, their God. And among these young men were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, Jewish tradition and many scholars agree on this, that that Daniel and his friends were probably somewhere between the ages of 12 and 18 when they were taken. They were just boys. They were just teenagers. And arriving in Babylon, the king's chief official, Ashpenaz, starts these teenage boys indoctrination process by attempting to try and change two things their names and their diet, their names and their diet. We'll come back to talking about their diet, but let's first look at verse seven in their names. It says this, the chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, to Azariah, Abednego. I practiced that verse like a hundred times. Like that's, that's a lot of crazy names in there, right? Now we might read through that and fly past it and think, okay, okay, so they got some new, na- new names, no big deal. But actually, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. These names were very intentional. These names were very intentional because names, especially in the Bible, mean something. They always mean something. And this was an important part of the process of trying to indoctrinate these four men, these four young men, into turning them away from worshiping God, big G God, to worshiping the Babylonian false gods, little g-gods. If you want to put up that next chart here, um, see, in Hebrew, the Jewish name Daniel means God is my judge. God is my judge. But, But his new name, Belteshazzar, means may Bel protect his life. Now, Bel was another name for a, a god named Marduk, who was the king of the Babylonian gods. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious, but his new name Shadrach means command of Aku, who is a Babylonian god of wisdom, or I'm sorry, of the moon. Mishael in Hebrew means who is like our god, big G god. And his new name Meshach means who is like Aku. Finally, Azariah means Yahweh is my helper and his new name, Abednego, means servant of Nebo, who is the God, who's the God of wisdom in Babylonian culture. All four, all four of their given Jewish names were meant to be pointers to the one true God, to Yahweh. So that every single time they said each other's names to each other, they were essentially worshiping God. Hey, Daniel, They were essentially declaring a truth about who God was when they said that. And now, now every time someone is calling them by their their new name, it's actually doing the opposite. It's actually, you know, as a sign of worshiping these false Babylonian gods. And so the, the chief's official's first act of indoctrination is to take their God out of their names in an effort to take him out of their worship. But here's what's really interesting to me. It doesn't really work. It doesn't really ever work. And all throughout the book of Daniel, these men, even though their lives are at stake at points, we'll, we'll see a story about that next week, uh, where they never stop worshiping God and being obedient to him. And in fact, while Daniel doesn't, 
He doesn't explicitly fight against his new name. He doesn't like resist it or make a big fuss or take a big stand or protest against it. He never forgets his real name. All throughout the book of Daniel, whenever he's referring to himself, he always calls himself by the name Daniel. Daniel 7.15 says this, I, Daniel, was troubled. Daniel 8.1 says, I, Daniel, had a vision. Daniel 8.15 said, I, Daniel, was watching. Daniel 9.2 said, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures. What other people might have called him Belteshazzar. He never defines himself by that name. He always refers to himself as Daniel and stays true to what and who he is and what God says is true about him. Now, I wanna take a second, and this is just kind of a side note, but I wanna address an issue a little bit that I think is very, well, it's a, it's a, it's a hot button topic in our culture right now. And I wanna be really sensitive in how I say this because I know it, it affects people, maybe, maybe affecting you in this room. But we are living in a time in our culture where we are highly fascinated with the idea of redefining our identities. And, and, and the idea of even considering changing our names. And, and I know, again, I know this is like, uh, can be, there's difference of opinions about how that should be handled and thoughts on this issue. But I, I think, and I, I think, I think right now, you know, if I meet somebody and it's the first time I'm meeting them and I have no authority in their life or don't really know them or influence in their life, I don't know if they're a follower of Jesus or not yet, I don't really have a, a big issue with calling that person by their preferred name, if that's just a way of being kind to them or just acknowledging them as a child of God. But I, but I do think there's a bigger issue at hand that I am concerned about. There's a bigger issue in our culture and as Christians, and that's the question of who gets the ultimate say in defining who we are? Who gets the ultimate say in that? Is that our culture? I sure hope it's not our culture because that changes every other week. Is it even ourselves or is it God? Is it God who gets the ultimate say in who we are? God who I believe knows me better than I know myself. God who I believe made me and, he's, and he made you and he's all knowing and all perfect and he doesn't make mistakes. And he didn't make a mistake in making you. And again, I recognize that this is a, this is, there's not like really a precedence for this in our history of our world. Never have we lived in a time and a culture where we've had to navigate this. So I recognize that that can be really sensitive. And if, if that is impacting you and you would love to talk more about that, I'd be happy to do that or with any of our other pastors. Um, but here's what I, I, I think about Daniel. Daniel didn't make a big fuss about his name, but he knew who he was. And he knew that his given name, Daniel, means God is my judge, which means God is, gets the ultimate to make the ultimate decisions in my life. I give, he is the one who gets to define who I am in my life. And, and while he doesn't make a big fuss about his name and being called Belteshazzar, he did take a stand. He did take a stand against the, the attempted change in his diet which might seem a little odd to us, and not wanting to eat the king's food. And so in verse eight, we read this. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. 
And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, why is that? Why is that? Why does Daniel not want to eat the king's food? Is he just a really picky eater? Do, do the Big Macs in Babylon not taste like the Big Macs in Israel? No, that's not the case. That's not the case at all. It's, it's because tradition was that the Babylonian king's food was first dedicated as an offering to the Babylonian gods. That was the issue. That was the issue. It was, it was food offered up to, to Marduk and Nebo and Aku and gods like that. And so as an act of worship of the one true God, Daniel would not eat. He would not eat this food that was offered to these false gods. That would have been disrespectful to his God. And, and I want to read Daniel, the beginning of Daniel 1.8 again, because I think it's important. It's a, it's a great phrase. You could underline this or highlight it. It says this, but Daniel resolved. But Daniel resolved. He determined, he decided to take a stand in not eating the food that would defile him, defile his God. You know, you want to change my name, try to change my name? Okay. You want to take me out of my homeland and move me 900 miles away? Okay. You know, you want to teach me all your Babylonian customs and cultures? Okay. But this food thing, this is something I am resolved not to budge on as an act of my worshiping to my God. Daniel, and then verse nine says this, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to, to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king then would have my head because of you. Daniel then turned and said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he said, please test your servants for 10 days, 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants, treat us in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this, and he tested them for 10 days. We'll stop there. So Daniel, with, with incredible courage, proposes this idea. He asks for a 10-day trial, basically. Hey, why don't you give us nothing but, but vegetables and water for 10 days? No meat, no wine, and then let's see. Compare physically who looks better compared to the rest, us or the rest of these young men eating the king's food. Now, I think it's important that we remember that these were teenage boys. Do you know any teenage boys? Do you know how teenage boys eat? I have, I have a teenage boy in my house right now, and we have a number of teenage boys coming in and out all the time, and a few carrot sticks and a little lettuce and some water ain't gonna cut it, you know? If I say, hey, you hungry, you want a hamburger? They'll take three, right? If I say you want a piece of pizza, they'll eat the whole thing, right? I mean, these are, th these are growing growing boys. When I was in my late teens, maybe like 17, 18, 19, uh, my guy friends and I, we had this tradition. We didn't do it every week, but we did a lot of weeks where we would go just to, down off Polaris. There's this restaurant. I think it's still there. I've been there in years. Uh, Quaker Steak and Lube. And we would go there on Tuesday nights because it was all you could eat wing night, right? And so we would, we would go there and we would just make the whole, a whole event of it, a whole night. We'd be there for hours, and we would just 
eat as much as we could eat. We would just have, we would have contests, right? We would make teams. It was like this whole like fun thing we would do. And most of the time I could eat like 20, maybe like 30 wings. That would be like over, overflowing. But one time, I don't know what got into me. One time I ate 63 wings. You know what that is? That's disgusting. I was thinking about that. That's the wings off 31 and a half chickens. That's like, what is wrong with me, right? Like, like I, I had the meat sweats all night long. I didn't eat chicken for a month. I was like, left like nine months pregnant when I left. No, it was, it was disgusting. But boys can eat. I, I know I couldn't do that now. But when I was a teen, I could do that. For Daniel and his friends, as teenage boys, to speak up, and to say, you know what, just give us vegetables and water. Yeah, it's going to take a supernatural miracle for that to be enough. And actually, I think that's exactly what happened. Because as we, re- we read, I think it was a, a supernatural miracle. Verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine, They were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kind. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's service. And in matters, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the end, or until the first year of King Cyrus. We'll start at the end of chapter one. Now, these four young men, after the 10 days, were stronger and healthier than all the rest. God blessed them. God had favor upon them. And, they, and they, they, they went to the top of the class. And Nebuchadnezzar, he, after the three years of training, he found none equal to them. He said they were 10 times better than all the rest. And that, that last verse is really important. Verse 21, I'm going to read it again to you. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And again, that might seem like fairly insignificant, but King Cyrus was not the next king after King Nebuchadnezzar. King Cyrus was probably, history tells us, the seventh king after Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel lived in Babylon and served in the king's court for a total of eight administrations. Around 70 years, God used him there. If if, if you were to compare that to nowadays, that would be like serving in our government going back to the Truman administration. That's how long that would be. So, what can we take away from this? And, and this idea of, of daring to be like Daniel, living in a foreign land, right? Living in a culture that, that maybe doesn't have the same values or beliefs that as, as Christians. And it's gonna require, it's gonna require us, it's gonna require you as a follower of Jesus to mix in, but not blend in. To mix in, but not blend in. To live within the culture but to not be of the culture. Now, this might be a corny analogy, but as Christians, we're called to be like the chocolate chips and chocolate chip cookies. 
Let me explain by what I mean by that. You know, if you're making chocolate chip cookies, there's lots of ingredients, right? You got flour and sugar and butter and eggs, maybe a little vanilla. Maybe you got some special secret ingredient that your family recipe you put in your chocolate chip cookies and chocolate chips, right? You begin to, to, as you begin to mix many of them together, most of them begin to blend together, right? They become this delicious golden brown, like cookie dough that we all love to lick the spoon from, right? Right? You know, one time as a teen, I ate enough cookie dough to, to make 100 cookies. That's not true. That's not true. Uh, but all of the ingredients tend to kind of blend together where there's, they're indistinguishable except for one, the chocolate chips. Right? They are mixed in, but they're not blended in. They still are visible and distinct in their attributes and their qualities. They stand out. They look different than the rest of the parts of the cookie. And the challenge that Daniel and his friends faced is that Nebuchadnezzar, his goal was to blend them into Babylonian culture so that they would be indistinguishable from all the other cultures that the Babylonians were conquering and also exiling into Babylon. But God wanted Daniel and his friends to be mixed in, but not blended in so that they would still stand out. And there will be times Whereas Christians, you and I, we will have to stand out at work, at school, maybe in your families or, or with friends sometimes maybe. And that won't always be easy. It's gonna require resolve. It's gonna require resolve. It's gonna require as a follower of Jesus, like Daniel, that you predetermine how you will respond in certain situations when it comes against maybe what you think God is calling you to. We need to think about and make some of those decisions now before the temptation to blend in comes up. See, I don't think Daniel waited until this food was put in front of him. I don't think he waited until he took a bite. I think he decided before. He resisted that temptation of the, the filet mignon before. Right? I think it was wisdom and discernment that he, that he knew he had to make that decision ahead of time. And we have to decide ahead of time before we're in certain situations how we are going to respond. Otherwise, too often the temptation to blend in is just gonna get the best of us. So like if you are, if you're dating somebody, maybe you really like this person. Maybe you love this person. Maybe, maybe you wanna marry this person. You know, the culture says, our, our culture says, hey, you should test drive the car before you buy it right? It says you should do that. And if, you're, and if you have not pre-decided and you find yourself alone with that person, right? And, and, and you know, you're on a couch together with that person and there starts to be some feelings and emotions and you start touching hands and maybe there's a little smoochy smoochy, right? <laughs> if you have not pre-decided ahead of time how far you will go and not go, the temptation will be too much to go all the way too often. If you struggle with things like alcohol, maybe, and, 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 and you're, you know you're gonna go out with friends for dinner, or you know you're gonna go hang out at this gathering or this party, right? And you have not predetermined what you will say or how much will be your limit or saying no at all. And everyone around you is living it up, right? And, and, and if, if, with the awkwardness and the fear of standing out, if you have not decided ahead of time, it might be all too much. Maybe at lunchtime, 
at work or at school. Maybe Joe, Joe gets whispering about the boss again, like he does every day. Or Betty gets talking about the new girl again, like she does every day. And, and if you have not decided ahead of time when you sit down at that table and you've got a good juicy story to tell, if you have not decided, am I gonna tell a story or not tell a story? It, it can be too tempting just to, just to join in instead of saying, no, I'm gonna keep my mouth shut or I'm gonna change the subject. I'm gonna go sit somewhere else. Or with what you watch and what you look at. To this day, even though I'm a 40-year-old man, I still try to screen everything, every show and movie I, I watch. I look it up before to see if there's anything overtly sexually explicit in it. And you know, sometimes you'll be watching something you think it's not, you don't, you don't expect, and all of a sudden there's like this scene that pops up all of a sudden. I hate that so much. I hate that so much. And it's one thing if like the romance is building and you can like kind of see it coming. It's another thing when all of a sudden the scene changes and it's just right there in your face. But when that happens, I will literally close my eyes, put my hands over my ears and go la, 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 la. And I'm a 40 year old man. But I parent myself like I would my, my kids when they were little because I have resolved ahead of time as best as I can not to put that stuff in my mind as a, as a way of honoring God and as a way of honoring my wife. We have to decide some of these things ahead of time. As Christians living in a culture that doesn't have the same values, we're gonna have to predetermine, like Daniel, how we will respond in certain situations. And I know that can be really hard. That can be really, really hard, especially in a culture that is changing so quickly. The only way I think we will truly be able to do that is, is if we know that it's our will, but it's his power. It's our will, but it's his power that makes the difference. And if the worship team wants to start to, to make their way back up here, I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that as I end. You know, we talked about this a little bit last in the last series, the gospel of wholeness. You know, how do we really see change and transformation in our lives? How do we be different than the rest of the world around us? How do we mix in but, but not blend in? Well, it's a partnership of our will, our predetermination, our resolve, but that alone is not enough. It's not enough. It takes God, God's power to actually make something like that happen in us. We need his help to do that, to stand in the current and not be washed away in it. I think there is no reason for us to think that Daniel and his friends were vegetarians before they came to Babylon. It's probably not very likely, right? And yet for at least those three years, if not for the rest of their lives there, they, they made a decision to, to just eat vegetables and water. I think that's a miracle. I think that, I don't think that they just did that on their own. I think they needed God's power in them to do that and to continue to grow stronger and healthier. I don't know, maybe they got some great source of protein some, somewhere else, but however, they, however they, they grew stronger and healthier, I think because it was God working in them. You know, when you turn to your boyfriend or girlfriend and say, hey, I love you, but I think we need to stop. When you say no to that drink that you're drawn to when everybody else is pounding them down, when you keep your mouth shut at work or at school when everybody else is just babbling, when you go la, 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 
and keep your, and don't watch things. Do you think you're doing that all by yourself? If you're a follower of Jesus, I don't think you're doing that all by yourself. I think you're doing that because you have the power of God in you, that he is at work in you. He's moving through you. I believe we need his power as we mix in, not blend in. As we dare to be different, when we resolve ahead of time, it's our will combined with his power. And listen, we're gonna mess up. We're gonna fall. We're gonna make mistakes. We're not always gonna do it well. And, that's a, and there's grace for that. There's grace upon grace and grace for that, that God, he just wants to empower you the next time and the next time after that. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand up? Why don't we stand up? Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.